This is the Plot Blueprint Podcast, where we will be discussing all sorts of aspects of story. Okay, writers. Today we're going to talk about point of view, which was an element of fiction that um, pretty much profoundly affects uh, aspects of written fiction. And I'm talking about novels and short stories. Um, and it tends to be less useful or important in the visual media of you know film tv um and has actually a kind of different definition entirely i guess in games so we're going to talk mostly about the medium where point of view is absolutely extremely important which is written fiction novels and short stories and all that so what is point of view it's the perspective through which you are presenting the story it's usually a character so that um in uh, you know in a first person novel or short story the the i character is the one who's telling the story and it gets obviously much more complicated as we go on but we'll be talking about the basic uh, the three most important viewpoint types uh first person third person and omniscient and uh discussing things that come up but this is more basic uh this can be a really complicated element so we'll just talk about basics now and maybe talk about uh, other aspects of it um, in a later podcast. Um, also, I have I got I wrote a book about point of view for Writers Digest books, and I got the rights back recently, so I've converted it to an ebook, and I'm happy to give it to you for free if you just email plot blueprint all one word at gmail dot com, and uh, I'll just ship you the uh, ebook. Um, so anyway, let's uh, talk about the main types: first person, omniscient, third person. Why did I don't know. I'm not really sure why we ordered it. First person, omniscient, third person. Omniscient is a form of third person. But so, what do they, these refer to? Uh, first person is like you said. The character says I, me. Um, so it's about pronouns. It's and point of view. I mean, yes. When you're looking at the syntax of the sentences and paragraphs, it's about pronouns, but what makes point of view what actually makes point of view is what how we use these pronouns how does that impact the character voice and what the reader is able to experience right because in any stretch of thing where you have dialogue and different characters you're using he and she you're using i you're using you as you're writing, but this is the specifically the narrator, the person who's basically telling the story, is using I, and so um, I alone survived to tell the tale, the way Moby Dick um, is, uh, and that in third person, the character who is telling the story, or whatever the main character is, he or she, um, and. And in some cases, I think I've, I've seen some like science fiction one where they actually use they uh, as a singular person, but as someone who's genderless. Um, and so that's really kind of weird because they is also plural. <laughs> so um, Well, also, I just think the way things are going socially, that's going to be, I think that's just going to be a thing in written fiction. Well, grammat- what we call grammatical point of view, yeah. first person, I, comma, me. Uh, third person, he, comma, she, uh, um, or him, and all that. 
that grammatical uh, person in English has the problem that we have no genderless, that our genderless thing is it. Yes. But it's always they in plural. And so the thing is, do we call someone an it or we just go with the plural? And we just don't have them. Maybe they'll invent a word. But uh, I saw one book, it was Tay, T-E-Y. They were trying to do it, someone who was beyond gender. Um, and it was T-E-Y. And I thought, oh, oh, we could probably get used to saying Q that. from Star Trek. Oh, okay. Cool, Q. So, so what we might want to think about anyway is, okay, let's put aside grammatical point of view person because that is not really relevant here all we're doing is you use pronouns yeah we're not we're we're talking about what's behind the pronouns not the actual uh not the actual grammar or uh this was so clear in my head five (laughs) seconds ago um but we're talking about point of view as a tool in writing fiction. Right, it's about perspective. It's so about that perspective. you're going to be using pronouns, but we're talking specifically about the character of the entity who is narrating... Who is using these pronouns, right. not the pronouns themselves. Right. And so, and this is, the, the, the reader will experience it through this character. And so, um, I'll have, uh, let's, so there are three which are First person, which is the I, and that's um, uh, like I'm reading from Rumpole of Old Bailey. I suppose when I was young, I used to suffer with my clients. So it's as if the character is speaking, telling the story directly to the reader. Uh, the, the book I'm listening to has a line, something like, I, I owe everything uh, that I have to my King Alfred. And he hated me. Oh, that's Uhtred, yes. That's Uhtred. Uh, um, it, that, I think that's interesting because, you know, uh, historical fiction is so seldom in first person. So it's a kind of an interesting choice. Uh, Moby, well, Moby Dick wasn't historical when he wrote it, but, the, you know, that's in first person. Um, first person is really, really common. Um, it's as if the character is telling the story to the reader. Yes. Um, which brings kind of additional complications, but, but so... Um, it really decreases the distance between the character and the reader. Yeah, well, so so I, I feel like especially with first person, uh, tense becomes really important. Yeah. Because okay. if, if you use past tense in first person, then, okay, the natural uh, way to understand this is that this person is telling me uh, the events of in, their life. In retrospect. In right? retrospect. Um, where uh, if you were using present tense, I guess that would be like sort of a stream of consciousness as they're experiencing it. Yeah, it's sort of weird because, um, you know, first person present tense, I think, oh, well, that's that's really uncommon, except it's not uncommon at all. Um, and it, it seems to be more common because I was at Rumpole of Old Bailey that I just read. I, uh, now I never watch their faces when the sentence is passed. I hardly listen to the years pronounced, and I never look back at the doc. And so he is narrating how he's feeling, what he's doing, as if it's happening right now. So verb tense, whether it's past or present, is more of a consideration with first person. And I was just looking at uh, 
Moby Dick, which has a weirder opening than I remembered. Uh, we're, we're, uh, Moby Dick is, of course, one of the great novels of the 19th century. And uh, so it starts out, Call me Ishmael. Some years ago, no matter how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing in particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. So he starts out in present tense, call me Ishmael, and he's speaking directly to the reader. This is, this, if this was done now, we, we would think it was sort of cutting edge, and this is yeah. like 150 years old. But so, but then when he talks about the past, he goes into past tense. And so there's a very definite idea that I'm sitting here telling you the story, and when I'm talking about me in the present telling you the story, I speak in present tense, and then I go into past tense when I'm talking about things in the past. Just really as we would if we were sitting down and talking to some, telling the story to someone. Which is how the movie Solo should have been done with Lando Calrissian. Yeah, so... And, and turn it into a comedy, and every once in a while he just chimes in with a joke. See, that's the thing with first person. The big question often is, why is this person telling the story? And Ishmael is the only person to have survived this voyage. And so he, it's like he's the witness. And so he has, he has kind of a reason to tell the story. Because yeah. he's the only one who survived and no one else can tell the story. Generally, that's a question I, I would ask. If you're going to do this in first person, are you going to deal with the issue of why is this person telling the story? I think generally we just kind of ignore that. It's just convention. I've written two books in first person, and in neither one did I have any sense that I'm telling the story, this character's telling the story for a certain reason. Yeah, I would either, I mean, just my natural response to the question was I would either completely ignore it, or I better have a really, really good idea about why this person is telling this story. And and then I would probably, at the very least, like, bookend it uh, with, so, like, a scene with scenes Well, like, Lando Calrissian yeah. at a bar, and I'm going to tell you I'm the story you. of my old, my old friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of of the... most. I think most times they just ignore it. Mm-hmm. It's just something that's ignored. They say, uh, uh, you know, they there isn't doesn't seem to be a reason. But often there is in this kind of frame story. I have uh, missing pieces by... Uh, uh, Joy Fielding, and in that one, she says very specifically that she's telling. I said it's quiet in the house in the morning with everyone gone. I have a lot of time to tape my report. I call it a report, but it isn't really anything so clearly defined. It's a series of reminiscences. Although the police have asked me to be specific and orderly as I can, so she's speaking into a tape recorder, tell, telling her reminiscences, her remembrance of this thing, and it later turns out. Um, her sister uh, married a serial murderer, and so she's having to tell what this is about so the police have the evidence. And that well, that's a good frame. Um, I don't know. I don't think generally you need a frame, but but often you have one. There's one kind of a newer uh, one, which is, um, uh, oh, let's see, an old one, Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. It's a wonderful story about a man, Montresor, who walls up uh, his enemy in in his basement and the guy dies and, but it's like 40 years later and he's telling this as he's dying apparently and he's telling it to his confessor his, his priest or something like that and the whole point is I don't think I need I, I, I need absolution because I didn't do anything wrong because Fortunato 
he he insulted me, so therefore I had the right to kill him. And so there's that kind of frame. And and in first person, it's much easier to get that idea right. across. Where so if you're say it. yeah if if you're doing you know strict third person, then the most you can do is hint at it, which depending on type of story you're telling that might be more compelling mm-hmm. um but if if this was in third if if it wasn't third person i don't think the reveal at the end would be as shocking yeah um which is which is the which is the point of this ending which is the goal mm-hmm. um so i think i think first person was a really strong choice uh for what poe was trying to accomplish here yeah and he wrote primarily almost entirely in first person and he had what they call the unreliable narrator and to think how early he was writing which is the 1840s i did my master's thesis on on his buried alive where he, uh, stories where people are buried alive actually and he and you know that but it was so interesting that he chose to do in first person which was not uh something you saw very much in short stories because there weren't very many short stories either he was very cutting edge but his stuff is all the unreliable narrator we cannot trust what this man is saying Which, and in first person unreliability is really fun yes well i also think that the unreliable narrator is as a uh, as a concept and a tool uh, is sort of coming back maybe i want to say or at least i can think of two recent video games that uh, so again, when you talk about point of view in a video game, you're predominantly talking about the camera view. Um, but there is also, you know, at times narration. Um, so if the camera seems to be coming from the character's eyes, eyes that's first, first person. person. But if it's looking at the character, it's third person. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Uh, also, I'm going to say, I like in first person games, like in Mirror's Edge, you look down and you see Faith's feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, most games you don't see their feet. That would be uh, weird. It would be like uh, that. That would be kind of weird. But then, of course, it's kind of weird to think of walking around and being a camera. Yeah. Uh, so so anyway. Um, but so Battlefield One, uh, I think did this really cool idea instead of having a single single player campaign that you play through from start to finish. That it's like four or five shorter war stories, mm-hmm. uh, and so one of them is about. Uh, an American fighter pilot who, uh, as he uh, tells the story, got in all this trouble when he stole this new biplane. It's World War I. Um, but also, like, <clears throat> he gathers the intelligence to, uh, you know, find this German stockpile of arms or whatever and so they lead this huge attack and he's a hero and then london's going to be attacked and again he's a hero and then he's like other people might tell you a different story where i killed my co-pilot blah 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 uh, <laughs> but you don't but you do you believe me right um but, yeah that's what the way poe does it too is that it's it's like you're going through it it's and you're realizing this is more and more and more implausible <laughs> that black cat how did the black cat try to kill you? Then again, you know, we've all had cats wind themselves around our legs when we're uh, my, at the top of the stairs. Yeah, my black cat tries to kill me by being invisible at the top of the stairs. <laughs> yes. So, but Regularly. But, it, you know, Poe would do this where you're kind of going along with this and then you think, now wait a minute, and you realize the first person narrator is 
lying to you, trying to pump up what he did, trying to hide what he did, maybe is insane and doesn't know what he did. But in that case, it's sort of like first person, at first you feel very close to the character, but then with an unreliable narrator, you become distanced from them because you don't believe them. Yeah, which is which is very interesting. Uh, so also just uh, Tales on the Borderland, uh, a very, very funny game, but in my opinion, the funniest joke... It's all about using the unreliable narrator. The two main characters basically get captured and held at gunpoint and, to, and told, you know, tell me your story. And so they're both telling the story from their perspective, which disagrees with each other. And so at one point, uh, the male lead is talking about how uh, him and uh, his business partner, they work for, like, a super toxic, like, sci-fi uh, ultra-corporation uh, like cyberpunk, uh, like evil corporation. Um, and so it's just them having a conversation about how, uh, you know, I, I didn't mean to betray you. I was forced, uh, into it and I'm sorry, bro. And it just breaks down to them just saying bro over and over and over. And it's hilarious. And then it cuts back to the present and he's not telling the story. Fiona is, and she's just making fun of him. Uh-huh. And she doesn't know any, how this happened because she wasn't there. And she's just making fun of this guy that annoys her. See, that's the thing is that when you have first person, there are a lot of fun things you can do. You can have the unreliable narrator that you can speak in the the, the character voice, and it could be a really interesting voice. Yes. Um, I have Bridget Jones' diary, which is in first person, but it's the 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 frame of this is it's her diary, and so she writes, um, Sunday, twenty sixth of February. Alcohol units two, excellent. Cigarette seven, calories thirty one hundred. Poor. <sighs> two p.m. Oh, why hasn't Daniel rung? And so the conceit of this is it's it, that it is her, um, uh, her diary, and she keeps track of how much she drank and all that. Uh, hideous, wasted weekend, glaring psychopathically at the phone and eating things. And so she's. we get a very good sense of her voice. And first person, because you're letting really the character uh, uh, t- speak in their own voice, is um, allows you to do a lot of fun things with that. The worst thing you can do in first person is to have a boring voice. Yes. You can get away with that maybe a little bit more in third person, but in first person, it's just like, why bother? If you're not going to have this person be an interesting narrator who has an interesting way of looking at things and an interesting voice, don't do it in first person. I 100% agree. So, well, let's talk about some things about first person. First is, in all of these, there's basically, you can do it multiple or you can do it single. And first person is usually single. I mean, it's I, not we. But um, there's something that's been done. Susan Howitch was very good at it, of doing multiple first person. And I actually, because I love Susan Howitch, I did my book The Year She Fell is done in multiple first persons like a, a long first person narration of from one point of view and then the, the other four characters each tell their story uh, or the story from their perspective and it's kind of interesting how it could be because mine is just that each one there's a mystery and each one of them has basically a piece of the mystery and they have to think it through and figure it out and then add it all together in the end so it's sequential and they each have some information that's necessary. But other ways to do it is the, what they call the Rashomon, after uh, a Japanese movie, um, that there are four different perspectives on what happens, and they basically are in conflict with each other, and the reader is then expected to figure out which is most true. 
And so that's those are two things you would do with multiple point of view. Um, let's see, is there? Yeah, both of those sound really interesting. Also, sound really hard to do. Well, the sound one like a lot of work. Yeah, the one I did was not that um, was not that difficult. I think because it was difficult. It was really difficult. I'll never do it again. However, it was fairly successful because, uh, I, but I had to really have a very good idea of what the mystery was and what plausibly each person could know that they didn't basically they didn't know they knew and so the, so um so it was it was uh it was harder actually it, that was hard it was harder to have different voices for each of them different first person voices for each of them and there were what, three women and two men and um the two men I, I guess I'm just better at women's voices. The three women all sounded different. The two men, I think, probably ended up sounding a lot alike. But that's the... Um, Which is not necessarily a terrible thing. Except that, you know, why do first person if you're not going to have the voices be... And I tried, you know, I, did, I, I knew that was well, an issue, but, so... I mean, but the point could be that they are just similar. Well, they're all sisters. They're sisters, and so yeah. it does make sense. The two men didn't even know each other. But um, So maybe <clears> that was it, but... Um, but so then you, if you have two characters that legitimately think alike and mm -hmm. yet when they're witnessing whatever it is they're witnessing come away with two different takeaways mm -hmm. i think that could be and, interesting you know, because every character has what they're interested in what they think is important they might you know might be really good at you know emotionally intelligent and understand you know what what this char other character is doing while the other might be a whole lot more visual and notice things a lot more so but it's um, and so multiple first person is an option now. If you, if anybody's interested in doing that, you might look into the Susan Howich books, uh, Pinmara, Kashalmara, um, and see how that how she does it. Um, and um, and because it's interest, it's, it's an interesting thing. It also helps with the frame. I mean, why are it's hard enough to figure out why is this one person telling the story? Why are all these people telling the story? And again, like you said, you could just ignore that. They're just telling yeah. the story. Um, I, I I mean, just thinking through the sort of logistics of writing for that, I would suggest having a very, very strong outline. Well, uh, yeah, and especially if the entire story's got to be told. So there's, you know, like the three years, and in my case, it was like the three weeks in this family. And, uh, and you know you have to keep tracking and and you can't just keep repeating it's not like they're seeing the same thing over and over and over and so it is really important to see and it's got to happen in the right sequence it was difficult i would never do it again i thought it was very interesting someone like susan howe which seems to do it very easily um it i don't think i don't think first person is very it's it's deceptively easy it feels like it's easy when you're doing it but it's like easy to do badly and hard to do well yes yes i i agree i i would also <clears throat> If she were in the room, I would ask, I would wonder if she, you know, wrote all of character A's portions, then B, etc., mm -hmm. and then later uh, cut them into, uh, you know, to go along with, again, I would, for me to even attempt this, I would need a really, really strong outline, and... I think it it's easier in a way if it's sequential so that you See, only have like 100 like pages that. in this character and the next 100 pages in that the the thing that i think is hard is the 
back and forth. So I would say that there's a new newish book, which brings me to you by Steve Almond and Juliana Baggett. And they're, the, the two of them are writing in the persona of two people who meet at a wedding and they uh, are attracted to each other, but decide that they're going to conduct this entirely until they get to know each other, writing each other letters, handwritten letters. And so the, the, the each, so each chapter is one of these letters and it goes back and forth between the two of them. And it's easier, I'm sure, if you actually have two writers. Yeah. You know, because then you, you know what your voice is and you write in that character's voice. But well, it I, was, uh, I, but that goes back and forth and I would think that would be very difficult. See, I, mean, I could do that in third person because I've done it. Um, and I can even... The, I the can, alternating. Yeah, and I can even write it how it's going to end up in the final product. Mm-hmm. I don't. I honestly don't write like that very often um, because, I don't know, for me, the main plot, just my mind is bouncing around it uh, constantly, uh, which is why, you know, I start a lot mm-hmm. of things and don't end up finishing them. Um, but I just, I don't think I could write 20 pages really strong in this character's voice and then the next 20 pages have to then write in a different character's voice and for them not to sound exactly the same and then go back and and then yeah. go back it's 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 also there are certain things you could not you couldn't do a very strong plot that way you know where there's a lot happening and a lot of external action and stuff like that because it would just be artificial. But mm-hmm. this idea of these letters and they're talking about their past. and Or it would be 4,000 pages long. Yeah. And so it would, that really brings us to the idea of first person is appropriate for certain types of books and would be really difficult to do well for other types of books. Um, if you have, uh, most important, the first person narrator, narrator if they're telling, what's, it has to have happened to them. Yes. And I sh- well, I should say there there is an alternative, which is like the Sherlock Holmes stories, where Doctor Watson's the first person narrator, and the story's really about Sherlock Holmes. Well, yes, but it's it's still, you know, it's still a character acting as the first person narrator, right? And and Doctor Watson's there. I mean, he's the companion. Yeah. He's not, you know, like a biographer or something. He's actually going on all these things, and that's where first person, the character has to basically be there for all the action. It, you can't have to action taking place on another continent. And the Great Gatsby, right? The Great Gatsby. Yeah. That's Nick is the narrator, and Gatsby's the main character. So yeah, it's and it's it's a very interesting thing to do. Um, I don't think we see that very much anymore. Um, there been one of the two things we were saying: Gatsby, which is yeah. from the eighteen twenty or nineteen twenties, and Sherlock Holmes, which is from the eighteen eighties. They're that's old. Uh, you know, that's not that's not very contemporary. It would be interesting to see, but. But generally, the first-person narrator is the main character and is experiencing all the action, which means you have to have fairly limited action. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure there's some super relevant pop culture recent things that, because it's relevant, I'm not aware of it. It's <laughs> <laughs> <This is> contemporary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think also since first-person is really about vo- voice, about the internal feelings and thoughts of this character, it's just there's no reason really to use it to about things that are where there's no inner life where this character has no inner life where they're boring inside yeah just by the i mean just by how first person works you're 
big plot events are not going to be predominantly external. External things will happen, but then there will be the... It's how the character is reacting. Right. Um, How the character perceives it. Yeah, so, I mean... I don't know if The Hunger Games is in first no, person. Third I haven't person. read it. That's but third person. Okay, never mind then. Well, um, it, Hunger Games is really interesting because what yeah. is the there? There are certain genres which are uh, very where first person is very common, and that's detective. Yeah, so I, a, a better example, young adult. A better example I should have used is noir. Yeah, uh, there's no there is no point for you to write a noir novel or anything in anything other than first person. Right. Because if I'm not hearing the cool quips that the noir detective mm-hmm. uh, is saying, and also if you don't have cool quips, you're not prepared to write this. Right, and, and you know, Private Eye, and the eye is, is important. Private Eye novels are usually in first person, um, and young adult books are usually in first person. And I would say the Private Eye is... You know that's just kind of standard. They do that, but young adult is often the first person because who's more obsessed with themselves than a teenager, and wanting to tell their story and have their own voice. And so I think teenagers probably also like to read that, um, which is why the Hunger Games, in a lot of ways, is kind of an oddity because it is third person, uh, but it's also an adventure thing that's taking place kind of in in different things. And so, uh, so it's probably was just easier to do it in third person. But first person. What would, what would I mean, what would make you want to write that uh, in first person? What kind of story would you want to write in first person? Uh, so I've mentioned noir because mm-hmm. I honestly I can't remember the last time I wrote uh, not just anything in first person, but anything other than strictly third person with multiple point of view characters. Um, yeah, I I never wanted to write in first person. Because for one thing, I was writing romance, and romance definitely isn't is usually in single, isn't third person in the two characters, the romantic couples, uh, alternate or, or you know, um, but I did write the first first person one was just the one I wanted to do the experiment and see if I could write multiple first person, never again. But but it was okay, and the other was what um it was a, a genre the subgenre called uh, divorce revenge stories and it was in the point of view of a woman who gotten dumped and so it was going to be funny comedies often in first person we're used to stand up comics speaking in first person all that so um so i think that i wouldn't probably do it again in some ways it felt very liberating it felt like you know i was having it channeled down into me and was being dictated by someone else but the cumbersomeness of trying to actually make a plot work with everything's confined to one character who can't be there with the police who can't who always has to tell everything um i probably wouldn't do that again um however i i found it easy to write in someone else's voice uh for a while and it felt like it was being dictated so it felt good but again it's easy to do this badly it's hard to do it well and and uh, so it's deceptively easy. You think, oh, my God, I'm being, you know, this is being, I'm the channel of the muse. And, in fact, then you read it and it's all boring and, and, and hard to understand and, and the descriptions are bland and all that. So, so I, you know, I think you need to read a lot of first-person fiction and, and also understand a lot of readers just don't like first-person. Yeah. And it doesn't bother me at all, but... 
in fact, there are times, as I was saying with Hilary Mantel, uh, Henry VIII era trilogy, I thought, oh, that was the first. No, it was the third person. Because she was so deep in the character, it almost seemed like it was first person. Well, but, but a lot of people just don't like first person. And The girl with the dragon tattoo, what point of view is that? Well, I it's been so long since I've read it. Um, I thought that was third person. because. Yeah, I think it's third person, but it's a mystery. Which is normally first person. Well, the mystery has so many different, or what they call yeah. crime fiction in Europe, has so many different things. Traditional mystery is usually omniscient, because it needs kind of the wider thing to see the whole crime. Um, cozy mysteries, the kind of comic mysteries, and Private Eye are usually first person. Yeah, see, so if I were writing like a noir, uh, like Private Eye... I think that's what it would have to be. Or it would have to be... Or it would have to be like Uhtred as an old man now... Mm, looking back. Looking back. Kind of telling his memoir yeah. kind of thing. I think in some ways, if you could figure out the frame, if you can figure out, you know, why is this person telling the story? And that might make it easier to write. And also easier for the reader to kind of get. But but not to discourage anybody, but under, if you're writing in first person understand this is not easy to do well the, the hardest thing i ever had was narrating action from first person not from yes. retrospective but right now i am running down the street being chased by the police and i fling open the doorway and run into the kitchen and and it was so difficult to do anything like that um because it you know it doesn't sound plausible i am running and i'm telling you this as the police are chasing me. It just it just yeah. felt so artificial. And that's why it's probably better when most of the action is sort of interior or between people interaction. So I would need a story that the protagonist gets to say things like Max Payne from the Max Payne gets to say. So quotes like, I lied to myself that it was over. I was still alive. My loved ones were still dead. It wasn't over. Yeah, and so, you know, it just really is true. It's not worth doing it unless they can say cool mm-hmm. things and do quips or they or they say really kind of poetic things or something. If, if you can't come up with a really good voice for this character, maybe do it in third person. Yeah, which is weird because on paper, Max Payne is a game about a guy who shoots drug dealers in slow motion and jumps around shooting then later dirty cops and bad guys that were the drug dealers but uh but they wrote uh they wrote such great quotes for him and they they gave him such a strong character voice that um that if you would take out the narration which if you would have told me that hey this game's going to rely heavily on first-person character mm-hmm. narrations, like, well, this story is going to be bad. Uh, but if you if you took that out, the story would then be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the story probably is weak. It's been a long time since I've played these games, but the the quotes are so good. Yeah, and that's the thing is that you know it can actually rescue what probably is uh, having a really good voice and a fun character that the reader is going to enjoy being in their head for three hundred pages. No, yeah. can rescue a less than great storyline and i think that the mystery i wrote um in first person 
the storyline probably wasn't nearly as good as her observations of, of you know, why she, she wants revenge and all that. So, which I mean, it's also, I mean, just a strength of first person is that you can. It's the easiest way to tell your audience, hey, this is how the character is feeling because mm-hmm. they're just feeling it right now. At the same time, though. You know, when you're in someone in first-person point of view, the character can lie about what they remember. Mm-hmm. They can be unreliable. They can even not know. The reader probably needs to get something other than it needs to have an idea of uh, who this character is that isn't necessarily exactly what the character themselves would say. Which is why, which is why I think it's even more important in first person to have strong and complex character motivations. Right, and one of those motivations is, 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 you know, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, and th- in that case, we know, oh, that must be important. And and so that was, so anyway, that, but that's just, first person is complicated, and um, if you're writing in it naturally, um, I'd say, you know, really put yourself in the reader's perspective, and how are they going to, uh, what, 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 complications and interesting things are you going to do to, to keep the reader so it's not just some kind of narcissistic exercise yeah the, the reader has to get more than just this person's um you know ramblings about things yeah um, if otherwise you feel like you're trapped in you know yeah. on an airplane next to some extremely boring person who wants to tell you the story of their boring life if the character's motivation is i want to win the big cycling race because i want to be the best first person is probably not the point of view for you. And there's also, there are going to be people who are just going to be so annoying, no one's going to want to yeah. be in their point of view for that, uh, for 300 pages. So just, it's just, it's it's more complicated and more dangerous probably than third person. Let's talk just a minute about second person, which is the you. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember the examples that oh. we came up because there's, there's it's so rare. Bright Lights, Big City, which is by Jay McInerney. And this is actually... Famous is it's like the most only famous. There's a couple. There's several books written in second person, but it's very weird and it's very quirky and it's difficult to pull off. And so here's the Bright Lights Big City, which did I didn't love the book, but it was certainly successful um, as a story. You are not the kind of guy who would be at a place like this at this time in the morning, but here you are, and you cannot say the terrain is entirely unfamiliar, though the details are fuzzy. You are at a nightclub talking to a woman with a girl with a shaved head. Okay. This would get rapidly annoying for a lot of people. It's a stunt. It's a trick. It was an interesting experiment. I don't think it's going to take over. So I think, well, I just forgot the name, but I'm pretty sure there are two sort of indie games that I played recently that I think Kentucky Route Zero is second person. Um, So it's you, you, it's... Yeah, so like the character you will, is the player. So Not the player there's is the a but the character there's is the a player. narrator, and so like I didn't get very far because I I hit a glitch um, and um, that made the game unplayable. I'm sure they've updated it. I'm not trying to slander anyone. I'm sure it was my laptop's fault. Um, but uh, so like you'll walk into the gas station and the narrator will be like you walked into the gas station and i could be remembering this wrong it could be in third person um well this bright like that's the way bright lights you did this you did yeah. that. i think that would 
I think it might work better in games than it does in fiction. Yeah. Because you, it's just sort of like, no, I didn't. I'm sitting here reading this book. I'm not in New York. I'm not. Uh, so I, 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 anyway, it's a stunt. A few people, Italo Calvino, I think, um, had it. It's probably would be more what you'd see in experimental literary fiction. It, there is another game. I can't remember what, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Um, but the, it's second person very on purpose because the second person narrator is like almost antagonistic. Uh, towards you, the player, and you, the character that you're playing. And see, that's where it gets so complicated because, okay, who is you? Are you the reader? Are you the player? Are you the character? But, but it's also, it's an amnesia. Oh, well, uh, now that's... So actually, I could definitely see that. Yeah. In, if, in a case where there actually is the identity of the character is kind of unknown even to them, I, I could see it in that case. That that would be actually kind of interesting. But see, the whole thing is, not every story is right for any particular, you know, all points of view. If if this point of view approach helps you tell the story better and give the reader a better experience, that's the one you want. But, you know, and that means if you, I want to write in first person, I want to in third person, I want to write in second person, you're limiting... What? How many stories you can tell, or what yes. sorts of stories you can tell, the, or how you can tell them, and that's fine. The, the you can't limi- tell every story. The limitations of each point of view is also important yeah. uh, to understand. Yeah, because once you get writing, you'll run into these limitations all the time. That it's extremely hard, for example, in first person to narrate action. It's hard in third person to um, often tell what's secretly inside a character. Or that's that's easier in first person, and you know, so there are limitations to everything. But I, there are some. Where as soon as you said it's amnesia, I thought, oh yeah, you could tell an amnesic story from second person. Yeah, and uh, the game. And is, I don't know why. The game is Disco Elysium. Oh. Because uh, which is kind of funny because Bright Lights Big City is all about disco culture too. But well, it's not actually about disco. <laughs> um, I think it's just kind. Of, it's I think it's supposed to be. I mean, again, I haven't played that much of it. Um, and now I really want to go back. Oh yeah, because I died super quickly. <laughs> um, but now I really want to go back to it. But I think it's supposed to be a juxtaposition because, like the the world that you're actually playing in and that your character lives in is very drab and a lot of gray, mm-hmm. uh, like actual color scheme, a lot of gray, um, and it's got sort of like almost an oil painting uh, look. So I think it's supposed to be. You know this drab color palette, but since it looks like uh, uh, oil color, it's it's still very contrasty and sharp. And so I think it's just a whole bunch of uh, juxtapositions that it's too complicated for me to explain. But but you know, it's, I think that it's uh, certain. It's just certain types of stories you want to be more experimental with. And where there's amnesia or some other kind of disguised identity or something like that, where I, the identity of the main character is somehow in doubt in some way, you can be more experimental. It's See, yeah, so I think I could write that the majority of it would be in third person, but so if it would be like a murder mystery or something like that, that the killer 
like is sending the protagonist emails yeah. or something like you that. And so friend. that would be, yeah. and so those would be all you did this, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It would turn out that the detective was the killer, and multiple personalities or well, something. Yeah, you'd want to do it where it's a fun kind of thing, and it's an addition to that. Also, mixing point of view. And uh, so that you have some in third person. Uh, I've seen some where most of the mystery novel or whatever is in third person, but the villain is in first person. And the reason they do that often is because they don't want to reveal the gender, and I is genderless. But but it's, you know, that's certainly interesting to see. But I do tend to think don't let the point of view approach or whatever be the only experimentation. You're experimenting because the story is interesting. Because the story responds to an experimental presentation. So I think I have done I think I have written where the prologue was in first person from um, a character that is an important character but not you know, like the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that just sounds like a like that sounded so interesting at the time. But now it sounds like a really bad idea because then you know I'm potentially setting up the reader to be to oh I'm going to expect first person from this character's perspective, and then that's absolutely not what they get because it's third person from multiple perspectives. Yeah, um, I, I think I, although I, I feel differently about a prologue. This prologue isn't a prologue is you know not a chapter. It's not. It's, it's supposed to lead into the story. So that would be different, or an epilogue. Um, I think it'd be weird to have, like, suddenly first person in the middle. But, you know, I've seen it done. Yeah. You, things are a lot more fluid now. It's just that don't do these things unless you have a reason for them. Yes. And and uh, don't do them to be experimental. Experiment because it's because the best way to it tell the help. story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, let's go on and to... And think it through. <laughs> yeah. Or give it a try and be willing. I had a friend who wrote an entire book in first person. And then entirely rewrote it in third person. And, you know, you have to be willing to say, this didn't work, let me try the other. And really be able to recognize, this point of view is not working, yeah. I've got to try another uh, aspect. So, let's Hope, try. Hopefully anyone who has the same problem, you figure it out by chapter two. No. I think that, <laughs> yeah, I... I, I, I um, I, I, I wouldn't want to throw out a whole book, but you know, I think it'd be easier to redo the point of view than just throw out the whole book entirely. So, I mean, if it's a good story. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about the th- the third person options. Now, the first is omniscient, and the second would be then third person. An omniscient has an omniscient narrator. Yeah. Uh, an omniscient narration is above the characters. So, first uh, point of view can be within characters or above the characters. Sort of the author's yes. point of view. And that's omniscient, the author's point of view, kind of. Um, it's not set in any one character, and although it can be if the author wants. The author's in control here. The author can decide, you know, I want to be in this person's point of view for, you know, half a page or whatever. Well, I think when doing third person, at least I personally am of the mind that the narrator should be either, you know, stick to facts um, or be, maybe not flamboyant, but be a very big character. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the idea of the omniscient narrator. There is the classical omniscient narrator who is actually 
telling this all and giving a point of view, mm-hmm. giving a perspective. And the, the most famous, of course, is the Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, where it starts off, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. And this is the observation of some ironic narrator on how ridiculous marriage customs were in the early 19th century England. And it's ironic, it's above, it's knowing everything, that's why they call it omniscient. And that we see a lot in the 19th century. Um, Dickens usually wrote, Dickens went between first person, he's one of the unusual ones. So David Copperfield's Mm -hmm. in first person, but uh, um, Great Expectations is in third person. And so he did both of those. And, but when he, he often, used an omniscient narrator like in the tale of two cities um it was the best of times it was the worst of times but you use the omniscient because you want to give a perspective that's distant that's aware yes. of the subjective kind yeah that's what i was going to say detached yeah detached and it's often ironic um knowing more than any of the characters do mm-hmm. and knowing more the god of the book and and so that's a, um that's a it also allows you to make observe characters from the outside one of the hard things is is that if you're in third person in this character's third person point of view how do they describe themselves well they don't you know she looked in the mirror she had wavy blonde hair i mean that's ridiculous but yeah you you better your prose better be real good there or it's going to be very boring i remember there was a time where they say that um that the character would think oh she so vastly resented that she had, was stuck with this beautiful wavy blonde hair. <laughs> like that. Because, uh, but but omniscient allows you to pull away and do this. So Ian McEwan in um, Atonement also gives observations of the character that they wouldn't think themselves, especially this is a child. She was one of those children possessed by a desire to have the world just so. Whereas her big sister's room was a stew of unclosed books, unfolded clothes, unmade beds, unemptied ash trays. Brioni's was a shrine to a controlling demon. The model, model farm spread across a deep window ledge. Um, and so in that case, it's like Brioni would never think this of herself, but the omniscient car- narrator can give a perspective on her that you know someone above would have. Um, so when would you use that? Uh, so I, I personally, as a writer don't really do third person omniscient but if i was going to it would have to be uh i mean but so atonement uses it so well yes um and and that's partly because there's a trick at the end yeah which i won't reveal it's really it's really well done but yeah, there was a very specific purpose for an omniscient narrator yeah uh but so another book that i think does uh omniscient uh, narrator really well is the book thief and that uh that the i mean i'm pretty sure he says it page one so i don't think it counts as a spoiler but the the omniscient narrator is death and um, yeah oh yeah the very beginning yeah and that death as a character who's narrating this experiences what to us is the everyday world very very differently than uh than we do because death experiences uh, things as colors and tastes and and smells, um, and so I think I think it would I, I think 
I think I would need some, there would need to be some, either some kind of trick, uh, or it would need to be some kind of otherworldly entity. Yeah, and there is no, there's that, and there's also the authorial, where it's not really known who it is, but it's, yeah. it's understood <clears throat> it's sort of the author. Um, I have used it at the very beginning of scenes when I really want to set, when I want to describe a place and have an attitude towards it. That you know, I want to make clear that this is a closed-minded, narrow-minded, prejudiced small town, or something like that. And then I go into, I will get more narrow into the uh, the point of view of one character. So I've done it at the beginning and the end of scenes. I don't usually use it very much, um, and certainly not that big authorial persona thing, which is, I think, is a, a lot of fun. But it's 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 pretty old-fashioned. You see it in children's books a lot even now, but that's partly because with a children's book, part of the purpose of a children's book is to tell, teach children how to read fiction. So yes. this can be a lot more directive, and the omniscient narrator really helps there. So there was, I actually have to call out uh, Lemmy Snicket here, because he's got the very overwhelming, and it's the only other author I can think of is like that is Anthony Trollope from the mid-19th century who t is the, the it's just like you said the omniscient narrator is death. The omniscient narrator is an actual character basically. I mean he's not one of the characters but he's he's a person. He's really interesting and he's got his own prejudices. So he's very much and he's talking directly to the children of the audience and he really kind of plays with the idea that kids love to be kind of uh, teased and taunted yeah. so it says at this point in the story, I feel obliged to interrupt and give you one last warning. As I said at the very beginning, the book you were ha holding in your hands does not have a happy ending. And it's it's very fun. And he's constantly intruding. He's a very intrusive narrator. He keeps coming up and, and saying, I told you you didn't want to read this book. And speaking directly to the reader. Um, that was a lot of fun. I, I could definitely see myself doing that in a book to children. I think they'd laugh. They'd have wonderful fun with it. I can't really see myself doing that as a book to adults because adults don't want to be lectured. They don't want to be talked to. That yeah, way. you'd you'd have to have a really strong character voice, uh, and they would have to be entertaining. Yes. Uh, for for this to work, it has to add. Yeah. Something. Well, it so, always has. Yeah, that's it. It's always got to be, be uh, But so in the book Thief, uh, I just, I picked a random quote. Uh, she leaned down and, and looked at his lifeless face and Liesl kissed her best friend, Rudy Steiner. Soft and true on his lips, he tasted dusty and sweet. He tasted like regret in the shadows of trees and the glow of the anarchist suit collection. Yeah, and one thing about the omniscient narrators, they can know a lot more. This is mm -hmm. a, a child or a teenager, something like that. Uh, I don't. I have no idea how old she is at this point in the book. Yeah, because it's it's all during World War II, right? Yeah. Um, and this idea of the anarchist, you know, she might not even know anything about the anarchist, but the omniscient narrator does. Yeah, so I think she's probably like twelve at the beginning, and yeah, that's what I remember. Then you know, an actual 18, teenager. Like that, yeah. Um, they. they I guess it's just omniscient narration of this kind of intrusive, um, overbearing narr narrator who has all the information, has an ironic viewpoint and all that. It's 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 really interesting, but if you're going to do it, devote yourself to it. Yeah. I mean, really, in all these things, it only works if you do it well. 
and um, and this could be really annoying to modern readers yeah. unless you do it well. Also, but also, so the problem with making an omniscient narrator a character is that, much like first person, we're dealing with this one character the entire time. Yeah, and they're not just narrating how characters are feeling or what they're thinking, but the action that's. Uh, happening as well, and so maybe this would be better for like a short story. Yeah, um, and many or short stories. And many short stories are actually in in uh, um, omniscient. Everything like down to little, all these. Um, and you know, and you, actually, when you get rid of the idea of the narrator as a person, and you just get to sort of this limited omniscient, which is just more about description, which is probably more what I do. So uh, David Gooderson in Snow Falling on Cedars has, um, it just opens up describing the town. Amity Harbor, the island's only town, provided deep moorage for a fleet of purse centers and one-man gillnetting boats. It was an eccentric, rainy, wind-beaten sea village, downtrodden and mildewed. And so this is from the outside, looking at it, but there's no persona. There's, there's no person yeah. who's making a kind of... Uh, comment or, or uh, on this town. It's just giving a description that would be difficult to do from inside one of the characters. Yeah, and if you're doing a novel, you know, three, four hundred pages, it's probably a safer bet to just make your omniscient narrator stick to the facts. Yes, and that really works in the, what I was saying as you start the scene, or start the chapter, with the omniscient kind of view, the pan uh, view of the scene, uh, of the setting, and then when your character walks in, the the narrative goes into that character, and uh, that's I find that an efficient thing to do. But I wouldn't want to stay in the omniscient yeah. for too long because I think it's so distancing. Yeah, I think I you know thinking about some of you know stuff I've written, maybe I should go back and try that on at least one in particular because because what i was trying to do with like setting description was like really give you a sense of this is what the character focuses on uh at, mm. you know in this moment and so the goal was if you know they're talking about the the clothes that the people in this club are wearing okay we understand this character likes fashion mm -hmm. um but it also just ends up describing so little, uh, particularly of the physical setting. That... Yeah, yeah, because, you know, we see, if something, like, that we see all the time, we don't mentally describe it. And that is kind of a good time, I think, for the omniscient. And when they move into a new scene, just describe the setting. And I don't know. It's... I also feel that because if you have third person, sometimes it's kind of a jolt, for, especially if you're changing from mm -hmm. one person's point of view to the other it can be a kind of a jolt for the reader and so you know having a paragraph of kind of an omniscient description at the start can kind of ease the way there well i mean so the way i handle that because i do pretty much uh third person from a point of view uh character's perspective but that so each chapter will be from one character's third mm -hmm. person's perspective much like george R. R. martin does yeah, well, let's go into the omniscient is is a form of third person, and it, it, it you can really vary it, and you can do a lot of things with it, and you can mix it with regular third person. 
but um, you know it, it can seem kind of luxury and old-fashioned and you see it a lot less these days let's my, go into the far more well, I was gonna say my problem with it is there's so little limitations that I don't feel I as a creator don't feel pushed by it at all because if if I want to just say what the the random cop over there is thinking I can just do that yeah. Yeah. and I, I find it so much more interesting to just hint at it or what this character notices is like you know because so in third person omniscient you could be like oh she accidentally gave him a second look mm-hmm. where if you're just doing third person from his perspective it would be more like whoa 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 wait did she just give me a second look uh and to me that's just that's more interesting yeah i think you're right it's it's like it's it allows you omniscient allows you to be sloppy and tell more than the reader maybe needs to know or and it or tell it in a way that isn't very interesting yeah. because it's so easy um and so let's talk about third person limited and um and I have, because I write mostly romance. Romance, a lot of stuff has to do with category. And romance generally, um, it can be done different ways, but there are two protagonists, the the two people in the couple, and you are generally go in both points of view, so you're inside both characters, just not at the same time. You don't have, you have one scene that's told from one point of view, and you might have the next scene told from that same point of view or the other person's point of view. And this allows the reader to identify with both of them. Yeah, but it, it also it also makes it, you know, it gives you, it gives you tools to uh, not just create tension in the characters, but also with the reader, because they're seeing it from both perspectives. Right. Yeah, and so they, they know that, oh, he's... Uh, he's reluctant to tell her his secret because he thinks that she'll think less of him where she's just wondering why is this guy hiding something from me and so it's so with romance you you generally have two points of view but you you are only in one point of view at any given time in the scene Um, I've also written books that are entirely in one point of view in one third person point of view we never leave this person's head we see only what they see, and we experience only what they experience. We hear only what they hear. Um, I, I did a, a sort of romantic mystery from entirely from Matt's point of view, and it was really easy to do until I got to the point where Natasha was interviewing, interrogating someone, and he wasn't there. And I put him outside the window, listen, eavesdropping, and I still, it, it worked out okay, but I still think, oh, God, that was just such an awe. It would have been better just to go into her yeah. point of view, this one scene. Um, but I find it, as they say, limitation is liberating. I find it liberating to say, for the course of this book or for the course of the scene, I am entirely giving this one person's perspective and no one else's. See, so I just... I think so. I think a limitation there is. I think you're going to struggle to world build there. Yeah. Um, which so I actually had a friend call me out a couple months ago um, and uh, send me a YouTube link um, that I'm trying to remember what what she what the content creator called it, but 
not the ordinary world, how we use it, but um, basically it's a shortcut to world building. Mm -hmm. So, like, if your story is, uh, I don't know, set in a... I mean, let's, let's just say... L.A., New York City, okay, we know that you don't, you're kind of cheating at world building there mm -hmm. because <clears throat> you don't have to build anything. Um, if it's just modern day Los Angeles or modern day Brooklyn, we, we've we seen enough movies to know what uh, that world is. Some people have actually lived in these places. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but so if you're doing uh, like The Dark Tower... This is such a weird yeah. world in so many ways that he had to uh, world build. And he actually did it very, very slowly, which ends up, at least in my opinion, being very, very effective. Because the whole point is this is a world that's moved on. Uh, so a lot of that world that was built has been lost. Um, and <clears throat> so I wish I remembered what she called this trope, because it was a really good video. I wish I could... I wish I could post the link because it was a really interesting. Well, if you can, if you can find it, it's yeah, I'll look for it. I, I, yeah, the world building is difficult in a tight third person, or or even first person, and that's I, I will recommend again that you know if this is difficult, try doing a paragraph or two at the beginning of a scene, only the beginning, or only at the end, which is the omniscient. Which is probably why most sci-fi. Uh, most fantasy, and as we've said previously, most historical, yeah. are not in first person. Right, <laughs> and why often they are in a more omniscient, or at yeah. least they, they go back and forth between omniscient and the close third. The Hillary Mantel series about Thomas Cromwell and Henry VIII's uh, secretary are very, very tight third person. It might as well be first person. It's so tight. Um, it's probably several thousand pages and or two thousand pages and it never is outside his own mind well and but that's he, extremely difficult yes so number one this and i haven't read but i'm sure is extremely well written but also you know i mean just who he was he's building the world because he knows everything that's happening not right. everything and he as is, he found out but and he's but a tremendously <clears throat> detailed person mm -hmm. when he describes things it's because this is the sort of guy who notices everything and so um i think that that's when we talk about third person just as with first person but in a more delicate way you have to have this be a good narrator you have to have someone who has who sees things and understands things uh, from a particular perspective they're not just a boring they're not just a camera they're a person mm -hmm. who's experiencing and noticing these things and I think that that uh, um, that uh, it's it's important to find out what this person's point of view is you know how do they see things are they more musical are they more uh, are visual how do they experience things and, yeah which and so <clears throat> So the mechanic of point of view, world building, characterization, these are all things that help each other to and help you tell um, your story. The world building that your protagonist focuses on tells us what's important to that character, like you were just uh, saying, um, and also different uh, points of view have different ways of 
showing that, expressing that, um, and the, I mean, world build. I mean, it, again, it really depends on the genre how important uh, world building is. Because again, if your world is modern Manhattan, we know yeah everything that there is about that. So you I don't would... really need to build out the world, but right. I would say though, you know, I I would caution against generic. Generic small town. You know, let's let's yeah. have perspective here. What's special about this town from this person's point of view? And you know, are they a stranger? Are they a fish out of water? Are they someone who's the bad boy who never felt accepted? You know, um, and this character's perspective will make this generic small town interesting. Um, and so, um, so I don't know. You want to talk about how how do you figure out what the character when we say point of view we mean their perspective their understanding their way of seeing things how how do you create that uh well i i think i'm very weird about how so most of the things i've written literally start with two characters having a either very intense or very soft whatever the conversation is about it's going to be a very intimate conversation and usually that's how i start and so i figure out who these two or three characters are and then and then i figure out the plot and everything else after that and so most you, of the time it's like you listen to the conversation and figure out the yes yeah that, that's um but i also most of the time write very very personal mm-hmm. uh stories well in this sort of deep personal third person is best for first off for characters who are interesting and but also where they're going to change and their emotions are going to be important and uh, their journey is going to be important and if that's not going to be if that's not an important part their psychological journey or their emotional journey then maybe being very deep in their point of view isn't going to be very interesting and so maybe better to do it omniscient or something like yeah. that i would say I almost always write in first person, but when I want to get to know the character and how they feel and what they perceive best and all that, I will, I'll ask a question and write in first person. So I'll say, um, you know, Sally, what are you good at? And Sally says, well, I'm not good at anything, actually, uh, but um, I, I do enjoy, you know, observing other people. And I'm not good at, at, you know, interacting with them, but I really like looking at them. I'm a people watcher. Now, I wouldn't take that passage and make it first person. I would I would change it so it's third person, or I would at least, or i just get out of it. Oh, she's a people watcher. Okay, I'm going to use that in the story. Uh, so I've done that a lot, where I specifically ask the character a question, write it in their first person voice, and then take the information I got out of that and use it to... Um, really get to know how they would narrate a scene. Yeah, I, I definitely have done that with uh, you know scenes that the the whole point is a conversation, is dialogue between uh, two or three characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you switch a point of view in char- characters? Uh, we, as I said, in all of these, there's a kind of an, uh, a multiple and a single component, and so single point of view is the, like I did that one book where he has to eavesdrop because other because he's not uh, in the scene um, more the alternating kind of thing that you, that most romances are done in where you have two points of view um, have you done more than two 
the multiple kind of thing where there's like three or four point of view characters in the story? Uh, yeah, that's predominantly how I write. Um, and usually it'll be uh, two or three like lead characters mm-hmm. and then there are other characters that pop in every once in a while to uh, not just to world build but to also you know most of the time hint at oh this other things uh, there are other things happening in the background right now it depends right now I'm thinking about my planned fantasy uh, trilogy that you know it's predominantly from two or three characters uh, perspectives but uh, there are other I mean, because just anytime you're dealing with political intrigue, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot going on, and you can't you can't tell all of it, uh, but you have to show mm-hmm. you have to show that there are things going on in the background, or else you don't ever really you're not going to actually be writing about political intrigue. Okay, so what limitation are you putting on yourself? You were talking about uh, the Game of Thrones series, or what's the name of the series? A Song, Song of Ice and, and Fire. Fire. Um, and that has 30, 40, 50 point of view characters. I mean, I mean, it's a very long point, series. At this point, I would guess more than 40. But then, definitely more than 30. And in, but in any given book, there's like Tyrion is the main character or, you know, the, the, where he has more point of view character, more point of view scenes. But it, it, in that, as I understand it, as I recall, an entire passage or scene is told from this person's point of view. I mean, so it'll be, the chapter will be Arya, mm-hmm. and it's a whole chapter from... So Her third person point of view, but it's entirely Arya. It's entirely Yeah, and then Tyrion. so the next chapter will be Tyrion. Mm-hmm. So Google claims that there are only 31 POV characters. I don't believe that. Yeah, I, I, well, <laughs> I guess. I mean, if someone apparently sat down with all six or seven <laughs> books and counted, I suppose. But uh, but this is this is unusual. I mean, mo- most books wouldn't do that. But, of course, it goes with the logic of the story, that this is a story about political intrigue, about warring nations. It's taking place on different continents or different pieces of continents. And, and you couldn't have Tyrion talking about what's happening in the north when he's in the south yeah. in a time when there were no cell phones and no streaming video and stuff like this and so it makes sense that then if you want to know what's happening in the north you put it in rob's point of view or something. but but also when you have 31 pov characters you're not going to want to have this paragraph is from this character's perspective and the next one's from a different character's perspective because it'll get even more confusing yes um so I mean, I, so if I mean, it also it depends how you do chapters. I mean, I know lots of people do basically a chapter as a single scene. That's my my scenes are long and they're generally in one chapter. Yeah, which is uh, I mean, so, so. But you could have three scenes in a chapter. Yeah, if they're shorter scenes. Yes, more. which which in a song of ice and fire, uh, he absolutely uh, does, and it just I, it feels like maybe. Tyrion usually it's one very long, yeah, uh, scene. But, but see that, but that's really interesting, isn't it? That that it's it's very strict in that when you're in Tyrion's point of view or you're in his point of view for a long time, and yet it also is open in the sense that you could immediately, as soon as that's over, have 
someone else's point of view. Yes, which would I... Would have a different comment. What I really like about it is that you can have a scene in a chapter that has a very distinct voice uh, or even uh, tone. And then, so you could have a very... You could have, uh, you know, a very... You know, you could have, like, the Lord's teenage daughter have a very light... A uh, fun scene where she's gossiping with the other, uh, you know, the other girls at court, and then the next scene. Oh, now we're now we're in the oubliette of the same castle, and I really like the ability to uh, create that juxtaposition, or to um, too rapidly, or the exact opposite, not rapidly uh, change tone, which you. Which you can do in uh, other points of views, but I, I've just found that at least I'm more effective at trying to accomplish that, um, you know, from a, a limited third person, but with multiple, multiple uh, point of view characters. I think it's important though that George R. R. Martin's it's very controlled. Everything's logical. He's in this point of view because this moment in the story is best told from this yes. point of view. Or I, he wants to impart this kind of information that has to come from this person. It's not a mess. And th this is, you know, um, and it's also a way you can control all these many different plot lines. Yes. And, and, and we always know that Tyrion is, you know, in this thread. We remember that Arya has just escaped and all that. So even if it's been three or four chapters since we had Arya, we're following her storyline through her perspective. And the control is really important with something like this. Yeah, which, I mean, but so especially, I mean, he's trying to tell a story that spans two continents. Yes. And um, 31 more, characters. Yeah, more and all these different kingdoms. One, but... And, yeah. And over the course of how many years? 20 years? Um, I'm not sure off the top of my Winter head. Winter is coming. I don't know how long it takes. <laughs> uh, but... Well, so that's the thing. The, like, astrophysics of it, for some reason their planet has an unstable axis. Mm -hmm. I read an article about it years ago. But, it... but it's, you know, the discipline that is used in that series, that no one ever knows something they're not supposed to know. They only tell what they know. And they, they uh, he doesn't switch in the middle to give another, you know, in the middle of the scene to say, oh, he's lying. It's all, it's so strictly controlled and so disciplined. And that's one of the things that makes it great. Which And so one of the shortcomings, I think, in the first season which uh, of the show, uh, which I would probably say, is, I would guess, is my favorite. Um, definitely one of the first three, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really matter. Um, but where they sort of cheat in the show, which I think ended up being much worse is that so there's a scene where Arya hears I'm trying to keep this as vague as possible two conspirators that she doesn't know um, so in the book she just hears what they're saying mm -hmm. and that and she doesn't know who they are because she doesn't know who they are but in the show for some reason they decide to show us uh, who's talking so now we know yeah. season one something that isn't revealed uh in the books until, you know, book five. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. What 
strict control point of view does is allow you strictly to control the information. Yes. Uh, and so if Arya doesn't know it in this scene, the reader doesn't know it either. And so it really allows you to create that information flow um, uh, in the way you want it. The, the reader doesn't know the information until you decide to let it out. But this takes a lot of control. And yes, well, I mean, but also at the same time, it limits what you can, uh, what you can tell the audience or tell your yeah. readers. Because if Arya doesn't know it, she can't tell. Yeah, she, we can't, you can't tell. You would have to then, the next chapter, if for some reason you wanted to reveal this, which, again, I think was a bad choice, um, but... Um, but so you would then the next chapter would have to be that conversation, uh, which I wouldn't do because I wouldn't reveal that yet. I wouldn't reveal who the conspirators are. At the same time, you know, but juxtaposing, Arya knows this and she doesn't know that, and Tyrion, however, knows this and he doesn't know that. Juxtaposing those yes. scenes is a good reason to have multiple point of view. Um, I just say it's much easier for the reader to keep track and much easier for the author to keep track if an entire scene is told from one point of view yes. and the next scene can be told from another point of view, but you're not mixing who who's in charge of the scene, who's the narrator of the scene in within a scene. Yeah, yeah, I would be very, I would be strongly against that. I think it would be too confusing. I mean, so many people say already that Game of Thrones is too confusing. It's pretty confusing. But um, it, think how incredibly confusing it would be if you never knew who's telling this, or yeah. it suddenly shifts. And that's what they call head hopping, and it really is a sign of uh, of an author who's not in control of their own story. I, I think the only way it would work is if you're writing, you know, like a psychedelic... Um, uh, I just forgot the word I wanted to use... Um, uh, oh, stream of conscious um, kind of thing. But then in that point, you should probably be doing it third-person omniscient. And again, it should probably be a short story. <laughs> also, you know, if it works, it works. We're just yeah. saying this seldom works. And, you know, if you think you're doing something that's kind of uncontrolled and it's working okay see if the reader see if yeah. you can have a beta reader reader get it and are they getting what you want them to get because i've judged uh contests where of, it's kind of what people thought was experimental fiction and i'm a pretty good reader and i'm trained at this and all that and i've edited a lot of books and you know sometimes if i don't understand what's going on and as well trained a reader as i am what do you think your ordinary reader is going to do? And yeah. so, so it's very important to understand. The point of view is all about giving the reader the experience of what you want them to have, and you need to really make it happen that way for them. And you know, I mean, I can certainly see if you want someone to be completely confused. Okay, that's an, the experience you want them to have. But if that's not the experience, then you need to go back and make sure that you're conveying this in a way they get the experience that you want them to have. Yeah, and I mean, so. It's this, it's, I mean, so always these, these things that you're adding, I don't want to necessarily say gimmicks, because that, mm -hmm. yeah, some, of them are gimmicks. some of them are gimmicks, but not all of them. But so, but I mean, so think of, think of, you know, weird experimental writers. I don't know, Vonnegut, mm -hmm. uh, J.D. Salinger, I mean, but also remember how good they are at writing. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's how they were able to make... Um, that's how they were able to make their novels work. If if I wrote Catcher in the Rye, it probably wouldn't have been very good. And because... Catcher in the Rye has a very good voice. Yeah. A teenage boy voice. Yeah, I think that... You know, they're all over the place. Their debut authors come out and they do something crazy and it's brilliant. I don't say all the time. Once in a while. Once in a while. <laughs> but to some degree, um, if you're not brilliant and experimental and you want to carve a new path, try the conventional stuff first. Yeah. And it's just like Picasso studied art and he was a great illustrator and he knew how to draw and he knew how to paint before he started doing the weird stuff. And yeah, and you he have, was Picasso. You you have to understand what you're subverting to subvert it. Y- yes, and you might be, um, even have to be pretty good at what you're subverting yeah. to subvert it. And, and, and so try the conventional stuff first. I mean, so just looking on the bookshelf, Douglas Adams. Yeah, that was... Uh, if, if I were Hitchhiker's trying to write Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide... It would not be good because that's because that's not my spot. That's not my style. That my skill set doesn't uh, isn't going to uh, apply there very well. Um, because, but also because if Douglas Adams wanted to, he could have written just an absolutely normal sci-fi mm-hmm. novel, and it would have been good. Yeah, I think we have to be humble to a certain degree. You got to be really bold and arrogant and all that to write a story. But you got to be humble about the limits of your ability, and you want to know what that is so you can stretch it and you can make it better and all that. But um, I would also say every author ought to be an, a, a total constant reader. They ought to yes. they ought to read this stuff and notice and what point of view is this and how are they doing this? What experience am I having as I'm reading this? Um, and how did that how did that author create that experience? And you have you know thousands of years worth of stories you can read and see how this is done. And so I, I would just I don't want to say there are some writers who will do something having never studied anything, never, and they're going to write something brilliant and experimental and breaks all the rules and all that. But that's probably not most of us. Yeah. 90%, 95% of authors are would learn a lot from being conventional first. Well, I mean, but also, and we're definitely not saying don't experiment. We're saying the opposite of that, experiment. But you, when experimenting uh, with you know, a new tool in writing, much like doing an experiment uh, in science in a laboratory. You know, observe what yeah. observe the outcome. <laughs> That's really true. That it's you gotta figure. Okay, I'm experimenting. What is the effect? Yes. What is the outcome? And so that's um, something that I think that. Uh, that well, it, whether you're conventional or experimental, it's really important to observe the what scout ahead and figure out what the reader's experience is going to be um and because point of view is about the reader experience you're not doing it for your health you're doing it because this is the best way to tell the story um so i I think we probably should wrap up here but i think for me and i realize that this is uh kind of old-fashioned but you know what the best way to learn how to write is to read read widely but read specifically in what you want it what kind of story you want to write Read what others have done and notice how they did it and notice what they did well. I agree, and more importantly, Stephen King agrees. <laughs> well, I'm sure most authors agree. I just for sure have seen a quote where he said the best way to learn how to write is to read. And then also write. Yeah, yeah. But, and and uh, 
you know, don't feel confined, but at the same time, this isn't about you. This is about the reader. It really is. It's yeah. your story, but you're going to eventually give the story to the reader, and you want them to have a particular experience. Figure out what that experience is that you want them to have. Yeah, I mean, I... I think that is an idea more understood by, you know, really experienced, uh, like, screenplay mm-hmm. writers. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but I heard someone say that so his dad was a famous screen uh, writer, and uh, he's a screenplay writer, and he's like, if you want to have control over your story, write a novel. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> think of George R.R. R. Martin alone in his study, writing these things, and just him and a computer or a typewriter. And think of how many hundreds of people had to be involved in putting that on screen. Yeah. It's so much easier to be a writer and but, cheaper. But also, remember, he's got an editor that he super trusts that mm-hmm. reads all of his stuff before it, multiple times before it gets printed. I wish we could have that, especially when it could keep track of everything that's going on and all, know all the characters and all the background. But we don't have that. We have to be no. that person for ourselves. So, so anything else you want to say about Point of View? Uh, yeah, point of view is important. Figure out what type of point of view will best help you write the story that you want to write. I'd also say most of us will have kind of a natural point of view that we feel comfortable with, minus the single third. Um, and, um, and we're going to be naturally drawn probably to writing stories that are best told from that point of view. Go with that. Enjoy it. Do it as well as you can. It's, it's really difficult to do a point of view you don't feel comfortable in. And so it yes. might just be less frustrating to choose to write a story that fits your natural inclination. Well, and so I I also think, I, I think compare it to writing a genre that you're not comfortable with yet. Mm-hmm. Now imagine, I mean, point of view is so much more fundamental uh, than genre even because it literally affects every sentence that uh, you write, you're writing. And sentence. so it, I think, uh, again, pay attention, to, pay attention to what you're actually writing and read it and make sure it makes sense and it works so that you don't also write an entire book and then have to rewrite it in a different <laughs> point of view. Again, try and find out by, like, chapter four at the latest. And, you know, and I'd say if... <clears throat> This isn't working if you feel like the character's not sympathetic, if you feel like the character isn't individualized, it could be a point of view problem. Yeah, and I mean, but so also, so I know that a trap I fall into is that I end up making, even with third person and switching between POV characters, my male leads always try and become... A little bit broody and a little bit mysterious, even when that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So I know to look out for that, but I can't. I I don't when I'm writing it. I don't realize it, but when I reread, you know what I what I wrote yesterday, I can catch myself and stop making a boring, whiny emo kid. Which, if you're an emo <laughs> kid, that's fine as long as you're not boring. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know um, I'm just gonna say I the book I wrote is sort of pedantic and and all that but it really goes into as much I think that almost anybody's written about point of view 
and it can go into a lot of these things we've been talking about and have examples for them. So, um, so anyway, and that if you want that book, uh, you can just send an email to plotblueprint at gmail dot com, and um, and I'll send you the e copy. But uh, but it's just as always, it's about the reader. It's not about you. Yeah, and it's no longer about you. I guess it was about you to start with, but then you're gonna then you have to think about the experience, and that's what the point of view allows you to do, is, is to give the reader the experience of these characters in this story. Last thing I want to say is that point of view is incredibly complex in its simplicity. Yes, it's both. Mm-hmm. It's a particle and a wave. <laughs> like light. Okay, uh, so uh, we have a website. It's www.plotblueprint.com. And um, what else do we... The music is by Nick Weber and Heartland Heretics. Is there anything else we need to say? Any business? Uh, I don't know. We can add it in the description later. If okay. We about it. <laughs> okay.